This is Aider and a Better. My name is Avi Singh. I'm here with Sajid Khan. Sajid, what up? What up, Avi? We are joined by our friends Kristen Carter and Chris Givens, both fellow public defenders. Hello, guys. Hi. Hey, Avi. Hey, Sajid. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Kristen. Uh, it's an honor. This week on Aider and a Better, we're doing something we haven't done before a you're the worst unsweet 16 bracket of attorneys from pop culture criminal defense and we are going to discuss 16 attorneys we're going to have them face off in a bracket and at the end of this episode we will together by consensus or dispute crown the worst criminal defense attorney from pop culture you call it the iac bracket so instead of the ncaa <laughs> bracket this is the ineffective assistance of counsel bracket so essentially the bottom 16 the worst 16 lawyers in pop culture that we could come up with. It's a kind of a cool parallel because when we first started this podcast in January of 2017, our first episode was listing each of our respective top five lawyers. And so two years later, we're now listing out the worst 16. And it we took have... us about two years to get to, negative, to a negative space. Yeah, usually on the podcast, we talk about what it takes to be a good public defender, a holistic, thoughtful, empathetic attorney who's client-centered. Now we are going to talk about lawyers that exemplify qualities that are the exact opposite that are self-centered unempathetic and uh, not particularly good at their jobs why don't we start out we'll just list off 16 we'll go 16 down to one uh, just with the names so uh, 16 being the our perspective of the 16th worst lawyer number one being the worst lawyer yeah that's so if you're number one that's a bad thing if you're number 16 it's also a bad thing <laughs> but it's a less bad thing <laughs> by 15 so number 16 is mickey haller who is the Lincoln lawyer. You're referring to the books or the, the Matthew McConaughey movie? So for character? this one, I was referring to the movie. He does exist in the books, but I think that the problematic things that got him into the bracket are from the movie. So does Matthew yeah. McConaughey show up twice on this list? Matthew McConaughey shows up all the time on all the lists. <laughs> in my dreams too. Yeah. <laughs> Number 15 is the Con Air lawyer who I think is just in the movie for like 30 seconds at the beginning. In the credits, he's listed as public defender. Ah. Oh. oh, wow. Low blow. Christina Gutierrez is number 14 from Serial Season 1. Adnan Sayed's trial lawyer. At the number 13 spot, we're calling it a replacement level defense attorney from Law and & Order. So we, and not anybody in particular, just kind of a standard stand-in uh, defense attorney. defense but attorney. Christina Gutierrez is not a fictional attorney. There are two people in here who are non-fictional attorneys, but they're from documentaries that are popular depictions of the criminal justice system and we think inform people's views about you know who's doing criminal defense and how it's being done and where some outrage should go. There are two people who are from real documentaries recently who stand out. I personally think it's kind of harsh to bag on a real attorney. She might get out of the first round. I mean, right. you know, that's <laughs> I think that's relevant. Unless well, they're Rudy Giuliani. I was going to say, yeah, what about Rudy Giuliani and We'll Michael get Cohen? there. We'll get there. <laughs> Are they not real attorneys? <laughs> Michael Cohen is redeeming himself. All right, at number 12, we have Chandra Kapoor from The Night of. At number 11, Matt Murdock also known as the Daredevil. Number 10 is Vincent Gambini. Number nine is the appointed counsel from My Cousin Vinny. Did he have a name? Kristen, did you have a name for him? John Gibbons. John Gibbons. Yes. He was also a public defender. Yeah, he was. Number eight is Lionel Hutz. Number seven is Barry Zuckercorn from Arrested Development. Lionel Hutz is from The Simpsons. That's the, right. And He's a controversial figure because yeah, he, he made is. it in a top he made five. my top five list. <laughs> <laughs> Number of six best of one of us. 
Number six is Jake Brigance from A Time to Kill from the book and the movie. To I don't point. think anyone's read the book besides you. Besides me, and I'm ready to fight. <laughs> Number five is Maurice Levy from The Wire, Al Capone's attorney from the movie The Untouchables. Number three is Sam Bowden from Cape Fear, the updated version. Nick Nolte. A young Nick Nolte. He wasn't that young. He's a... All right. He was younger. <laughs> number two is Arthur Kirkland from And Justice for All. Al Pacino. And number one is Len Kaczynski uh, from the Netflix documentary Making a Murderer. There's some discussion about people who feel like they missed out or should have been put in. The bubble. Yeah, who, Kristen, was, who was on the bubble? <laughs> yeah, who do you think should have been in the bracket? Just so you can lodge your protests, if any, or if anybody wants to lodge a protest. Obviously, the worst lawyer in the world, Rudy Giuliani. I don't even need to make the case. There's some debate about whether he's playing a, some sort of long game that none of us appreciate yet. Okay, and he's not well. just reacting to each new false statement or inaccuracy with a new one. And Say what you want, Avi. Hey, look, I only had 16 spots. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Couldn't he have replaced replacement level defense attorney <laughs> in law and order? <laughs> okay, listen, I give the Ader Nation what they want. There was a lot of interest in law and order defense attorneys. I don't watch Law and Order, but there's there's a demand, and Rod actually put the demand in. Rod O'Connor, friend of the pod, so uh, so he's in. I know this might be a very unpopular opinion, but I think there is a case to be made that Atticus Finch was not quite such the great defense attorney as. <laughs> I see your eyes popping out. Can we cut our mic now? <laughs> this is this is not boding well for your credibility for the All rest right. of the debate. Make Watch the, case. the movie. Make the case, Casey. Yeah, make the case. Motion for a change of venue, perhaps. Okay. Does anybody else want to propose any object? Lodge any objections to the bracket? Michael Cohen. How is he uh, not on the list? He's not really a criminal defense attorney. He's a fixer, who arranges hush money payments that might involve crimes, but usually I don't know that he stands out to me as a, as a criminal defense attorney the way the other folks do. What do you think about that? So I suppose he's a criminal, but not a criminal defense attorney. He falls in the, uh, the Saul Goodman, I want a criminal <laughs> defense attorney. That's interesting. That's right. And we didn't talk about Saul Goodman. Yeah, Saul was another one that was thrown out there for us to, to, yeah. to talk about. There are some people who were thrown out where we, uh, we looked at the tape. We did an objective <laughs> assessment. <laughs> you know, and the tape, we just saw it was pretty client-centered for the most part. He's, I mean, very effective in it's a number crafty, of ways. Let's, crafty. Yeah. And then there was, um, we talked about Jackie Childs from Seinfeld. But yeah. I think everyone arrived at the fact that he was actually really good. But yeah. Kramer would always take these deals uh, without Jackie's knowledge. And he put the bomb on without Jackie... Jackie's advice. Who told you to put the bomb on? <laughs> the maestro. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He puts the bomb Jackie on. Jackie Childs was a great lawyer who had bad clients. Yeah. Well, Kramer yeah. was his like exclusive client. In the last episode of Seinfeld, when the foursome is on trial for violating the Good Samaritan law, Jackie does object to the litany of character witnesses that the prosecution calls. So he preserved the record but his clients ultimately went down. And was there perhaps a conflict of interest in representing all four of all them four at of once? Them. Uh, yeah. I don't know if it, if he took a waiver from Jerry and George and Kramer and Elaine yeah. before representing all of them.
So we're going to start out with uh, the number one seed, Len Kaczynski, against the number 16 seed, Mickey Haller, the Lincoln lawyer. The reason Len Kaczynski is the number one seed is because this whole thing started as I was driving along and I thought to myself, is anybody worse than Len Kaczynski? Like he's just the worst and what he does is so bad and and harmful that I just wanted to kind of think about this uh, against the larger universe of other criminal defense attorneys. Len Kaczynski is in Making a Murderer. He is appointed counsel to Brendan Dassey, who was a teenage boy investigated and involuntarily confessed to murder. His immediate move, without really talking to his client, is to have an investigator meet with his client and to coerce more confessions, a more detailed confession with diagrams in order to increase the value of the child's cooperation. The confession that started this all was eventually deemed involuntary. Len Kaczynski's move was to show up to court and say, this is a good confession, it's a voluntary confession, and try to kind of use that in order to negotiate something for his client. But his client really didn't have anything to do with it. He just kind of made all these moves, including putting his client in kind of this disruptive, terrible situation where his own investigators coercing him more. It's scary that this type of thing happened, and especially to happen with um, a young person who was in the balance. I think they talked about Brandon being developmentally slow or challenged, and so he was even more vulnerable, even more susceptible to outside influence and really needed someone to kind of shepherd him and guide him through a really daunting process and instil- instead was appointed Len Kaczynski who was just throwing him under the bus from the get-go and was essentially a, a second perhaps even more powerful prosecutor. Yeah, second prosecutor who's in the room with his client doing all the damage. He was episode number four and uh, there was a long break between me watching episode four and then episode five because I was so upset over this individual. Now, what we know from this individual comes from, or at least what I know about the individual, comes directly from this uh, documentary. So if things are different, I don't know. But what the documentary showed us was this guy made a statement about his client and what his client thought and what his culpability was to the media before he had even met his client then he doesn't have the wherewithal to meet the client to do the statement. He has that investigator do it. And it was a form of coercion. He coerced his own client, or had this investigator did it, without making a deal. We always look at, at shows, Law and & Order, and, and uh, shows like that, CSI, and think, what an idiot that the uh, defendant is making some sort of statement to the police and not having a deal. Right? I mean, you're not making a deal with the police, you're making a deal with the district attorney. Well, this guy didn't have a deal for his client in place, and he got a coerced statement. And then he didn't even go to the proffering of his client with the police. I mean, he led to the conviction of his own client, essentially. I can see why he has merited the number one seed in this bracket. I wondered in seeding him, well, okay, this is motivated by some idea that you start with a client who's made a confession. It's an involuntary confession, but you just start there. He's made a confession to the cops, and it's going to be a legal fight about whether it's voluntary or not. Now you're going to just place that client into a cooperation bucket, right? And now that he's in a cooperation bucket, how do you increase the value of his cooperation? How do you make his cooperation better when the confession's so problematic? You know, he's confessing to things that didn't happen. He's Uh, describing things where he's answering guessing questions. He's obviously guessing. So you want to get your client a better outcome by having a clearer confession that you can offer. But he never talked to the client about any of it, right? It wasn't like this actually happened or any investigation. He just turned the screws on him. 
And one question I have for all these people is would they have done what Len Kaczynski did to their own client? You know, whoever that may be, you know, the answer for most of them is going to be no. And that's like a uniquely problematic move to do to a person, especially a child. So that's why he's number one. He's he's up against. He's going to be tough to knock knock off. Yeah. And he's up against Mickey Haller. So Mickey Haller, the Lincoln lawyer, I'll put out three things that he did. One thing which automatically got him in is there's a scene where he's, he's asking for additional money from a motorcycle gang. And he says, look, you don't have to give me the money. You can always go with the public defender and take your chances. Any disparagement of the public defender puts you... That's that's a... That's not, a, a not a friend of the pod. It's a factor. <laughs> it's a, unfortunately a common trope of films and television shows. Yeah, you can just go with the public defender and not have the experts do the work that they're going to do on the plane flying over the grow. He also has that same client who they're talking about isn't paying him money. So he goes in front of the judge and he says, we're going to put this matter over to an indeterminate time. So he's then told, I'll just reschedule the case. I'm looking for a witness, Mr. Green. (laughs) Mr. Green. (laughs) And so he's telling his client, I'm in charge of this. You're going to stay in jail as long as you're going to be in jail until you pay me money. And then the last thing he does is that basically he has a conflict the whole time. He represents one client on a homicide who's in prison. And then he's now retained by a new client who then confesses to him that same homicide. And his duties of loyalty are now in conflict. So he gets the client acquitted and then has him, spoiler alert, beaten up by a motorcycle gang. That's the that's the case for Mickey Haller. He's good at trial. Yeah. He's, he's good at trial. Well, are we ready to vote? I don't remember him. I only know Matthew McConaughey. I don't remember this attorney. But I will add this. Mr. Kaczynski is still practicing in good standing in Wisconsin. I I wonder about the University of Wisconsin Law School and the products that they're putting out there in practice. Oh, damn, going hard against the Badgers. Oh, I'm sorry. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. Anyway, yeah, I'm voting number one on this. uh, Yeah. Kaczynski moves on. Okay, it's universal. Anybody object? No. The next head-to-head is Arthur Kirkland from Injustice for All against the Con Air lawyer from the film Con Air. Kristen, tell us about Injustice for All and Arthur Kirkland. These are both my choices, and I'm sad that they are going head-to-head. I guess we could start with Arthur Kirkland. He was portrayed by Al Pacino in the movie Injustice for All. Now, we first meet Arthur Kirkland. He's a public defender, I'm assuming, in Baltimore. Oh, he's a PD, too? Yes. Oh, jeez. And he, we find him in jail, in the drunk tank, strangely enough, where he's serving, he's not intoxicated, but it's late at night and he's serving out his sentence for contempt of court for taking a swing at Judge Fleming. Later on, he's released from jail and he gets blackmailed into representing evil Judge Fleming who has been charged with a rape of a young woman. Arthur uh, Kirkland is blackmailed into representing this judge because Arthur Kirkland had earlier revealed or violated his code of ethics and snitched on one of his clients and got one of his former clients arrested. And so he's in the process of potentially being uh, disbarred. So during the course of the film, Arthur Kirkland has two of his clients. He is indirectly responsible for their deaths. He is sleeping with a woman on the ethics board uh, that is investigating him. And he goes on to accept this case representing this evil, sleazy judge. And I think the most interesting part of Arthur Kirkland's representation of Judge Fleming is that though he despises this man, he decides to take on this case. He's not required to, 
But during opening statements in the case, uh, Arthur Kirkland, who appears to be under a great deal of stress, decides to uh, basically uh, tell the jury, proceed to tell the jury that his client is guilty and deserves to be convicted. So let's listen to that. The one thing that bothered me, the one thing that stayed in my mind and I couldn't get rid of it, that haunted me, was why. Why would she lie? What was her motive for lying? If my client is innocent, she's lying. Why? Was it blackmail? No. Was it jealousy? No. Yesterday, I found out why. She doesn't have a motive. You know why? Because she's not lying. And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. Because I'm going to get him. My client, the Honorable Henry T. Fleming, should go right to fucking jail! So I hadn't seen this uh, movie before and we uh, decided to watch the opening statement and it was really good. Like Al Pacino is delivering this opening statement where he's talking about the prosecution's desire to win and it blinding them from the truth and that there are alleged victims of crime that have every motive to lie. And so he's laying this real nice framework out for a pretty what's look, looking like it's going to be an amazing trial. And mind you, like I said, I hadn't seen the movie, so I'm expecting this to be a, uh, the start of the trial, not the end of it. And then there's a twist. And all of a sudden, uh, Al Pacino throws his client under the bus in front of the jury and tells them that his client's guilty and that they need to send him away. Or no, that they don't even have to do it, that he's going to do it for them. And um, it's a pretty amazing twist. And I think that's where the the line of uh, you're out of order. Uh, you're out, out of order. order. The whole, whole court th- is out of order. order. The whole system's out of order comes from. I didn't I didn't know that. I, and I had seen it on The Simpsons before. So now I get the reference. Basically, he's a very passionate attorney. But if you really look at this film, he's a terrible attorney. He betrays his client's confidences to an extreme. He doesn't even accomplish what he set out to do because you would imagine at the close of that opening statement, there is an immediate mistrial declared and uh, Arthur ends up being disbarred and the judge gets another lawyer and probably is acquitted. I would vote number one, Arthur. We we haven't even gotten to the Con Air lawyer yet. All right. Well, there's the case well, for Arthur Kirkland. Can, can we uh, let's step off for a moment, okay? First of all, Keanu Reeves did the exact same thing in Devil's Advocate, right? He goes back and says, uh, this guy is guilty. I can't represent him right in the middle of the trial. Coincidentally, of course, Al Pacino played the devil in that movie. So there's your connection. Anyway, six degrees. He did. I disagree with you on this, Kristen. He did accomplish what he wanted to do, though. 
because what he wanted to do was not be a lawyer anymore. That's what he set out to do, essentially. He had this. He only became a lawyer because of his father. His father was ailing and was dying. And I think he dies towards the end of the movie. I can't recall now. Spoiler alert. But when he's in court and he's making his argument, he takes the ultimate injustice, a judge he knows is guilty and rapes someone, and he throws the trial, and you can't erase that. If he would have done that not in the trial and, and put it, you know, before the judge or the police or the DA, it would have gotten buried. The fix was in for this trial, and he had to do it publicly. So in, in a way, he accomplished what he set out to do. Yes, not a great defense attorney, never should have taken the case in the first place, but any defense attorney who took that case would have taken this case in a kind of maniacal, evil way that we all perceive defense attorneys or bad defense attorneys to be like. And he, he def- So he would have more subtly thrown the case? Right. And been like, no, Chris, I, I beg to differ here. <laughs> Arthur takes this case for purely selfish reasons, and that's to avoid getting disbarred. If you compare this case with Keanu Reeves's attorney, Arthur basically screws over, if you keep count and watch the whole thing, four clients. Initial client who he uh, is becomes the subject of blackmail because he revealed that client's confidences. That client ends up getting arrested. The second client, he ruins his life because he fails to make a court appearance and tells his friend just to handle the case, shows him some papers when it's actually a very important probation report. And because that probation report doesn't get to the judge, the client is sent to prison where he kills himself. The third client in Arthur's caseload is an innocent man who is put in prison for a tra- or jail for a traffic violation. And because of Arthur's lacking uh, talent and lawyering skills, that client ends up staying in prison for weeks and weeks and weeks where he is brutally assaulted, loses his mind, and holds the prison guards hostage. Then he finally, and he gets killed during the course of that situation, and then he is finally agrees to take on the defense of this sleazy judge. Now, you can't work out your emotional issues in the courtroom, and that's why I nominate Arthur Kirkland. Uh, I've decided that Kristen's a better lawyer than you, Chris. Oh, (laughs) clearly. She wins the trial. (laughs) Clearly. Uh, I I think I'm ready to rule on the entire bracket. (laughs) (laughs) But you haven't heard about... But some of this, Kristen, but some of this is script writing and we know it's not real life. If he didn't give the other attorney who appeared for him this probation report, they don't just send the person to prison uh, and everyone just says, oh, let's just ignore this probation report that later could have been submitted and things could have been resolved. I mean, that's not how the real world works. And and I can't, I don't remember the movie as well as you do to comment on the other guy. She came with the receipts. Well, we're Uh, talking about fictional attorneys, so we must judge them on fictional law (laughs) standards. So this is a question about our criteria and everybody can vote their conscience on this. I think that if it's script writing, it's still the character. The Con Air lawyer is in very briefly. Let's just play it. Okay. Admit the facts and her plea bargain. I will not plead guilty. You could get 10 years. Admit to it. You get four. Serve maybe a year. Cameron Poe. You have pleaded guilty to manslaughter in the first degree. With your military skills, you are a deadly weapon and are not subject to the same laws as other people that are provoked because you can respond with deadly force. It is the order of this court that you be remanded to a federal penitentiary where you shall remain incarcerated for a term not less than seven to 10 years. 
you yeah. need to fully understand the setup yeah, tell before me. we can properly put this bad lawyer in perspective. Okay, Cameron Poe, <laughs> war hero, two years in the military, saves lives. He's an army ranger. He comes home to Alabama to see his beautiful wife. She's working at a restaurant. She's pregnant. There's beautiful, uh, how do I live without you is playing in the background. There's a reunion and three scumbags in the bar start abusing Cameron Poe verbally. And they actually assault him by throwing money at him and telling him to buy them some drinks. Um, it's quite offensive. Cameron Poe at the end of the evening goes outside to escort his wife home. And these same three scumbags are outside one breaks a bottle, it's raining, and threatens Cameron Poe, whips, and starts to assault him. Rips off Cameron's po, Cameron Poe's medals from his uniform. And Cameron Poe's wife runs out, to, runs back in the bar to get help for Cameron. And Cameron is there to defend himself against these three thugs. One of them has a knife and pulls it on Cameron. Cameron somehow manages to take that knife and turn it on one of the scumbags. His partners run away from the scene and they take the murder weapon with him. Clearly a case of self-defense. We have a war hero, army ranger. This should be easy, but no. Cameron Poe gets, once again, the public defender. And the public defender in the courtroom or outside the courtroom briefly before he goes into court says that you need to plead guilty to first degree manslaughter, you'll get four and you'll probably only end up doing one year. So Cameron Poe goes into the courtroom, pleads guilty, and the judge says, I'm sentencing you to seven to 10 years in prison. And the judge says he's doing this because with Cameron Poe's military skills, he's a deadly weapon, not subject to the same laws as other people. How did this happen? And isn't that clearly the worst defense attorney? And we know what goes on from there. We've all seen Con Air 43 times. I mean, has a happy ending. But no thanks to the public defender. He almost guarantees a year of incarceration to Nicolas Cage, Poe. What is his name? Cameron Poe. Cameron Poe. He almost gives him a, guarantees a year. I don't know if he had a basis to guarantee that. I didn't know about the lethal weapon exception in uh, sentencing exactly and he didn't either i guess well, i don't it's know also, why he pled it's also he like this won. 10 second conversation i mean it, it's like this it's a homicide case and he's having this like very kind of flippant casual like take the deal and you know and, and then the next scene is the courtroom so it, it's it's you know it seems like again it's like that public defender stereotype that we're like we're flying by the seat of our pants having these quick informal discussions we're promising things that we that we're, we're not going to be able to deliver on and we're kind of working in cahoots with the government or at least there's that kind of implication there because you're getting someone to plead under kind of false pretenses and the case is clearly a guaranteed not guilty at trial so there yeah. really was no reason for that public defender to talk Cameron Poe into pleading guilty. Cameron Poe doesn't show up saying let me get a deal he says I'm not guilty and I will not enter a plea or something like yes. that he says, I'm not guilty. And then the guy says, look, just do the year. It'll be a year. And then he gets <laughs> 10 and he's on the airplane. Exactly. All right. Who do we got? Well, we got to hear all those wonderful letters he sent to his kid. <laughs> Dear Becky, 
please tell your mother that I miss her so. <laughs> and what we also learned, and it's true in every single movie and story, is that you don't break the bottle and then try to stab the people. It never works. You <laughs> yeah. always lose that. You have to break the bottle over their head. Yes. I, I, I'm ready to vote. Okay. Uh, let's everybody close their eyes. Raise your hands for uh, Arthur Kirkland. Raise your hands for Con Air Lawyer. All right. It looks like a split decision. I, don't, I, yeah. I, I didn't come up with the rule for what do we do if it's a split. <laughs> I got to make the case for Con Air Lawyer because at least Arthur Kirkland cared. About getting Something? his clients in, in convicted. <laughs> About cared. most of his clients. Some of his clients. He was good enough for the judge to blackmail him into being his attorney. So something, I don't know. a tough call. Chris, your point, I thought you were going to be with the Con Air lawyer because of the whole motivations of Arthur and that, you know, he wasn't really. This, the sample size is so small with the Con Air attorney, it makes it difficult. <laughs> yeah. I got to tell you, if he treats this <laughs> every client this way, size. then yes. Okay. That's yeah. a good point. It is a small sample size. But Kristen pointed out, you know, every bad thing that Mr. Kirkland's done in his lifetime. Yeah, um, so I, it, it's difficult. You oh. know what? I can abstain from this vote if you prefer. Why would you abstain? Well, I mean, if it's two to two, how are we, we going to break time? I'm not it's, changing it's my position. Because <laughs> we never see either of these attorneys actually do courtroom lawyering. The beginning of Arthur's clo- opening is pretty yeah, outside of his skills. opening. But we don't see yeah. them cross-examine anyone. Yeah. Really. Who's the, we should just appoint someone as the tiebreaker. I think I nominate Casey. Okay. She's the most Casey, prepared. I feel like you know the most about these, this particular. Yeah, you're our, she's our bracket. pop culture expert. Well, so I saw Injustice for All many years ago and I rewatched it this weekend. And like I said, I've seen Con Air 43 times. So. <laughs> Casey, who, who moves on? I'm going to vote Con Air. Okay. All right. 15 seed. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> You're saying the 15 seed is going to move on? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Big upset. This is a huge, this is a big deal. And this is the first Historic. time this has happened. Okay. In it's eight or in a Santa Clara IAC beating bracket. Arizona. Arrange these brackets. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, let's cross out Arthur Kirkland. Bye, Mr. Kirkland. This the, is in no way like an endorsement of his activity. It, it's an endorsement. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a relative endorsement. <laughs> the next matchup is the three seed versus the 14 seed. So the three seed is Sam Bowden from the more recent version of Cape Fear. Uh, and the 14 seed is Christina Gutierrez from the audio docuseries, the, the podcast uh, serial. Yeah, what's that thing? <laughs> what is that word? I really couldn't. I didn't know. Um, is Christina Gutierrez. I know, Kristen, you have objections to Christina Gutierrez being put in here. I will tell you that I read an article about her son talking about how much she loved her clients and how she brought, basically was like a kick-ass defense attorney in Baltimore who opened up her home to her clients, who gave everything that she had to her clients. I will say that. And? And uh, there's a big problem in how she's portrayed in Serial in terms of the pressure she was under to demand, for example, $10,000 cash during the trial for a jury consultant that was never... Uh, obtained or whether she was able to demonstrate that Jay was much more involved in the homicide uh, than he let on or identify these key alibi witnesses, Asia McLean. You know, some people were upset about the way she sounded or the way she asked questions. My concern or what landed her there was just whatever was happening at the time, the I need money to do this 
I'm going to do, I'm going to guarantee you some outcome for the appeal she was working on. Yeah. Wasn't there some discussion that as soon as the verdict came down, like on the way to the elevator, she's like, it'll be X amount for the appeal. Well, I was, I'm, I was kind of vaguely referring to the other story they talk mm-hmm. about during serial of the parents of the boy who was convicted of killing his, his brother yeah. and how she was saying, okay, we've got an appeal going. We've got a case in the Supreme court, my experts working on it. And none of that, uh, seemed to be happening. And it might be because she had serious medical issues, multiple sclerosis, diabetes, complications. But the case that we've all looked at had lots of problems with it, and it seemed like she didn't identify those challenges or do what was required in order to explain the doubt. In defense of Christina Gutierrez is the fact that Serial came out, what, in like 2014, 2015, and had the benefit of like technology and hindsight to be able to look back at this trial and kind of Monday morning quarterback it and critique what she did and didn't do. Whereas I think the trial itself took place in like the early 2000s when it was in a kind of pre-social media age, technology wasn't as developed and it advanced. And so I feel like as I look back at her, she probably is getting a shorter, uh, I mean, she's getting kind of a harsher critique than she might have deserved in the moment of, of what she did or didn't do. But then again, there were so many, even just like her cross-examination of Jay was seemingly so ineffective from a from a basic kind of trial skills perspective like in terms of you have a cooperating witness who's getting a deal who is himself a suspect for this homicide and it seemed like she spent so much time battling with him as opposed to just kind of getting these building blocks of of why he wasn't a believable witness and then presenting that to the jury she also seemed like she might have been tone deaf to the, the jury dynamics of baltimore and maryland in the court courtroom at the time so I don't know, but I'm also a little biased because Adnan is like a fellow Muslim male, and I f- I feel like he just got shortchanged. So I don't I don't know. The on that point though, he has really good things to say about Christina Gutierrez in terms of what she did during the trial and some of the points she made. He said that she would take a while to get to certain types of points, or sometimes go kind of in a circular kind of circle around what the main point was. But his good feeling towards her is one of the big like mitigators or one of her strong pieces of her case, you know, when I was thinking Mm. about it, how fond he is of of her, notwithstanding everything that happened, you know, being the person who was most harmed uh, by it. Avi, ask yourself a simple question. Okay, I'm ready. Who has the tougher case? Christina Gutierrez or the public defender in Con Air? She had a much tougher case. case. How do you compare the two? Are you We're really sort of arguing this in the brackets? Who did a worse job? This woman obviously was suffering from serious medical problems. She had a very difficult case. Yes, she was not a great lawyer. Yes, she didn't follow up on some of these witnesses. But I understand from reading a bit about her, she did care about her clients. She was well-respected. She did do great work in other cases. And so I don't think that the case has been made for the worst lawyer. Well, she's up against in this, the head-to-head is with Sam Bowden. Ugh. From Cape Fear. <laughs> <laughs> from the newer Cape Fear. Right. Why don't we jump to him then? Yeah. And then we can double back, right? Uh, Mr. Bowden. Um, and uh, I, if people haven't seen the original, the original is a really good movie with Robert Mitchum. It's great. Yeah. And you're... Gregory Peck. Yes. Oh, was it Gregory Peck? Yeah. Well, look, you get your Atticus Finch in there. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, Mr. Bowden um, sells out his client. 
I mean, it was a, it's a very simple choice. It's not a gray area. I have this information. It will acquit you of your uh, rape charges. But because uh, I believe he either believed or was convicted of prior rapes before, he didn't, he didn't want this guy to go free. Something to that effect. And so he, the attorney buries the evidence that could have acquitted his client. His client then gets something like 14 years in prison. It was a conscious decision to basically put an innocent man in jail for 14 years. I don't know how you could even compare him to Ms. Gutierrez. I think Mr. Bowden has earned his third seed. And it, did what? you say that? I mean, Wikipedia says that he was a public defender, too. There he was the, at the time. He uh, was a public so defender. So it makes it even worse. Uh, and, and you for, uh, judging them by a higher standard. And the higher right, standard well, from our purposes in terms of who, you know, because, again, it, it, it also adds to this the stereotype that we are in cahoots with the government, that we don't care about our clients, that we're going to throw them under the bus for, for a variety of different reasons. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that's another. Well, and what's them. inflamed is that the whole movie then is trying to make you feel sorry for him. Right. Because uh, De Niro's character goes after him and his family and so forth. So now we're all, you know, led to believe that or f- forced to feel sorry for Nick Nolte and what he has done. Yeah. Um, now, of course, it involves his family. So, of course, you're going to to some extent. But he's a piece of garbage for what you he did. Use the, you can well, use the real word. Oh. Can I? Let's yeah. not. We have the yeah. explicit rating. <laughs> Max Katie was a terrible person. You know what's interesting is, do you know what the evidence that Sam Bowden deliberately buried was? What was recall. it? Yeah, what was it? The evidence that Sam Bowden deliberately buried was that the victim had a history of promiscuity. Which would At the highly, time. which would... Uh, this was 1970. In the 70s, it would have come into the trial. Or we can stipulate to that. Yeah. I think we have to agree that whatever he withheld was exculpatory in nature and would have led to an acquittal, but with the benefit of hindsight or modern thinking, you know, that it wouldn't be admissible. Is everybody prepared to vote? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Sam Bowden. All right. It's unanimous. Well, they can't see our hands on the podcast. <laughs> they see. Four Thank votes you. for Sam Bowden. They see our words. Okay. Let's take uh, 14 off the board. Okay. Next up, the number five seed, Maurice Levy from the the wire against our replacement level law and order defense attorney uh do any of you watch law and order i do on sundays when i'm cleaning the house and it's on a continuous loop chris do you watch law and order uh i've seen episodes my parents watch it and continue to do so it's kind of like the uh, new matlock shout out to chris's parents they must be listening to the pod yeah oh definitely (laughs) my father was a chief of police by the way oh Nice. Yeah, um, I don't watch it. And I don't either. I just watched some clips. Uh, we were encouraged by Rod O'Connor to look at the episode of Law & Order called Endurance. In that episode, the attorney is kind of showy. He makes misogynistic comments to one of the prosecutors. He doesn't really let everyone know what's happening. It's a tragic case with a lot of you know, really sad situation where a woman's child she thinks dies of a seizure so she tries to burn or she thinks he dies of something she tries to burn the house down and kill herself when the smoke is filling she wakes up and then uh she puts out the fire and they think that she killed her child from from the smoke she thinks her they so she's being prosecuted from killing her child with the smoke but she doesn't tell them that the child she thought the child was already dead and so he doesn't really do anything he kind of 
at some points the judge has to do the questioning because he's so dumb. And then the prosecutor learns this while cross-examining her and then does the right thing by asking for a lesser. That's the right sort of lesser offense in order to get to the just outcome. And I would say having watched probably 600 episodes on and off, in and out of of law and order throughout the years, there is a typical sort of case with a strange beginning. And what I've noticed about the defense attorneys on law and order is they seem to do a very good job of initially getting their clients released out on bail because of the liberal judge. So I would give them points for getting their clients out um, or OR'd or released on bail. But I have noticed a pattern with the majority of attorneys on Law and Order is that they tend to enjoy having their clients do the one-on-one meeting with the district attorney. Right, that's what I was going to say. Where they end up uh, spilling their beans and confessing to the crime um, above and beyond uh, what anything that might be helpful to their own case. And so I would fault them for for that. Uh, it's it's the number one <laughs> pet peeve on the show is these defense attorneys and how easy it is for them to facilitate this conversation too. <laughs> like two minutes later, they're all in a room together and the defendant is without a deal is just telling their story. Um, that's, yeah. It, yeah, it's very frustrating. That's one of the reasons why I can't watch these shows yeah. in the first place. <laughs> and often the, the, the lawyer has absolutely mm-hmm. no client control and the client is just going on on themselves. And then suddenly they're taking murder too. Right, and they always take a bad deal. <laughs> Murder two. <laughs> Murder two. <laughs> is there a is there a recurring defense attorney on Law and Order? Is like there I is there an actual few, character? There's a few of them. Oh, okay. But there's there's a variety of lawyers, but they te- they seem are to they, all end up in are that they, room. You know, when you grew up watching wrestling, you know there was always like the premier wrestler, like the Undertaker versus some guy who was just gonna put up a fight a for, a, for like two rounds. Sam then, Jones. Right? <laughs> like, is it like that? You like these guys? No, that just it's a variety. <laughs> the, the show employs every actor in New York City, so there's there's a lot of different cases and different attorneys. But they do. I am often offended by the uh, the quality of. But the premise of the show generally, or at least the kind of the be all end all, is the prosecution is like the are they the kind of the purveyors of justice and all, all things good. Right. Yes, yeah. there's the law and then there's the so, order. So So the defense attorneys are just like a conduit to however to make that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. There's no there's no recurring defense attorney that's more than a few episodes. Right. It's not like a, a fixture person that wins a bunch of cases or whatever. Yeah. They're just a placeholder there. And it's never the parolee who is initially arrested for the crime. Right. And this is, the, this is what we tell our juries all the time is law and order is the classic example of whoever they arrest first is usually not the real person. So they spend a good portion of the show, 30, 40 minutes trying to prove up the case. Then they learn something usually on their own. Uh, that says, oh, this person's not the real defendant or the real killer or whatever. It's this other person. And then they change gears and go after the other person. Real life is the entire hour would be dedicated to just that first person being arrested. Right. So uh, I misspoke earlier. This is uh, the replacement level attorney against Al Capone's attorney from The Untouchables. Al Capone's attorney in The Untouchables is set for trial. He's got a jury selected for Al Capone's trial. And this jury, apparently the fix is in. Elliot Ness, played by Kevin Costner, realizes that the fix is in. So he goes to the judge and says, you need to seat a new jury, a totally you know, a new one that nobody knows about. 
And the judge says, why should I do that? And Kevin Costner says, because we found your name in Al Capone's ledger. But it wasn't in the ledger. It was a bluff. So when the new jury comes in, Capone's upset. He's pushing, pushing his attorney around. Like, he said, do something, do something. And the attorney kind of looks around the room. And he says, we now change our plea from not guilty to guilty. <laughs> your Honor, we would like to withdraw our plea of not guilty and enter a plea of guilty. <laughs> and like the, you know, everyone's like high five, and the movie's over. It's a wrap. We can go home. You know, it all worked. The cop extorted the judge with false information. The new jury set, got set, and then the attorney, he 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 was the captain, and he just uh, so that was not client centered. Uh, that's it was not a knowing and voluntary waiver of rights. Yeah, you know, it, it's different than Arthur Kirkland, right? Uh, right. It is different than Arthur Kirkland uh, by saying it's a guilty plea now. Um, <laughs> but it's it's he doesn't even look at the guy. He's just kind of getting pushed forward, and he, he just on the fly. And what was the crime? Was it tax, tax. evasion? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, tax. We don't do that. We don't get to do that. We don't get to just stand up and make pleas for our clients, and especially if changing a not guilty plea to a guilty plea. Usually it requires a little bit more than just getting pushed out into the into the well. Even when they say, do something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, say, okay, I've got it. <laughs> I got the I've move. Got it. I got the move right now. <laughs> All right, we're going to do this one. Hold on. Perhaps, though, in defense of Al Capone's def- defense attorney, Maybe he knew that worse charges were coming down the line and he needed to lock up this simple tax case mm. no. before he was charged with murders. We so saw it all happen. So it's not a strategic it, it rule. <laughs> he's just kind of pushing he's kind of pushed around and he just looks around the room and he says guilty. He wasn't like calculating. <laughs> they they managed to pay off Twelve jurors. They had a ledger with dollar amounts with each juror. The judge, I remember, said, "This constitutes no evidence." But they they managed to pay off twelve people, and now they're going to go get a family law jury from down the hall. Don't you think over the course of the few days in trying this case, they could have paid off a few of those jurors as well? I mean, the the decision to just fold right there and you're folding with al capone you've made the choice to go ahead and sell sell down the river like the the baddest guy you know in uh, gangland history i mean it was so and so ridiculous and it's this idea of there i said it he's we're pleading guilty no take backs that's it <laughs> I've, I've proclaimed this and everyone starts to leave the courtroom well the attorney said it <laughs> it's over <laughs> All right. All right. I think it might be very stressful for Al Capone's attorney in general. He did uh, try to help his client. I mean, it was clearly unethical, but he did do something initially um, in terms of... The jury tampering? The jury tampering, <laughs> as opposed to the majority of the replacement-level attorneys on Law and Order, who simply put allow their clients to go into a room with the DA and confess, and they rarely win. Let's, let's put let's it to a vote. vote. All right, uh, Al Capone's attorney. Wow, the vote is unanimous. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Kristen. No, I, I, I am, I'm going to vote for the replacement level defense attorneys from Law and Order, and I'm that to vote for Rod. Hey, oh, he shout out to Rod. Yeah, shout out to Rod. And that's 600 episodes you've seen. Yes. So you, uh, look. <laughs> They, they I respect have, your vote. As a group, can you I, play the Law and Order a little doom doom like that at the end of that? I'm or? not familiar with that. Oh, okay. Oh. 
<laughs> All right, so. Okay, now we are where I previously had said we were at. Battle of HBO. This is a battle of HBO <laughs> defense attorneys. Yes, this is the five seed against the 12 seed. It's Maurice Levy from The Wire, which got a lot of nominations on social media against Chandra Kapoor from The Night Of. Yeah, that's a good, solid 12-5 matchup right here. So Maurice Levy, you watch him and... I think you could watch episodes of The Wire where he shows up where he's professional. He knows what he's doing when he's talking to the cops or cross-examining. He's good at the out-of-court stuff and good at the in-court stuff. But he's never representing the clients. He's always representing his own interests or the person's interests who's paying him to then represent clients who are lower down on the organizational ladder. In one instance, the DA has tape of him tampering with a grand jury and he immediately goes to well what kind of package deal can we make for three people he's like okay that guy will go for a murder this person will go on drug sales and marlo gets to walk he's negotiating exclusively on the influence that they have or the that they captured him committing uh, some sort of grand jury tampering another thing is he's kind of a showboater the greatest line in my opinion from the wire is i got the shotgun you got the briefcase i got the shotgun you got the briefcase so on the game though, right? And in that moment, he's questioning Omar and he's saying, you're a parasite. You make all your money off the drug trade. And he's, he's basically just describing how his character has developed over the seasons for a while. And he really gets into it. And then Omar gives him that trial outcome affecting line. So that's Maurice. And that's why he's on when there. When I watched The Wire, I never, I was, I watched it as a PD. I never thought of him as a poor or unskilled lawyer i actually thought he was really good at his job so i'm actually surprised to see him on the list generally because i thought he was a no he he was he was solid he he was client-centered and he he got things done for his clients i agree that he was client-centered for people who were at the top but Mm. there are people who he represented he stood in as their attorneys who where he was not at all in interested in their yeah in what was going on with them. It was just about what Stringer Bell wanted or it was just about what Marlo wanted. It wasn't about, so you, you know, what complex. D'Angelo wanted. Right. You know, All that's right. why he's there. I've never seen The Wire before. Jeez. Oh, it's true. Sacrilege. I, I know. I'm it's, sorry. It's okay. It's a pretty good show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then right, Chandra Kapoor. Oh, Chandra is my favorite worst lawyer because I was just so offended by the the writer's choices for her. She's a, Indian attorney, young, could have been written as this really powerful, dynamic character that came in to save the day for Nas after the first lawyer bailed on him. But instead, she was in over her head. She, I think she made like a five-sentence opening statement. Um, she didn't know how to do jury selection. She had to get advice from John Turturro's character how to do it. The case is being investigated. This is a homicide trial being investigated while the trial is going on. So she's getting defense witnesses and defense information from John Turturro and his investigator as the case is going on. But what makes it all war- the worst is that they make a choice for Nas to testify. And because he's become a drug addict while in jail, at, while at Rikers, he asks for like some uppers or some methamphetamine for during the trial and she sneaks meth in for him into the jail putting her bar card her reputation and subjecting herself to criminal liability and then on top of all that she randomly kisses nas 
and they have this kiss which comes out of nowhere because there was no real connection between the two of them so then i think the video of the kiss surfaces and then she has to be recused or removed from the trial leading to john torturo's character making the final closing argument I was offended on many levels. I was offended as an Indian attorney because here we had this opportunity for this Indian lawyer to like to be really awesome and powerful and dynamic and charismatic, but instead she's none of those things. And then I was offended for my female colleagues uh, here, you know, that are public defenders because you had this situation again where you could have this female uh, defense attorney be painted in a really powerful way, but instead they belittle her to these stereotypes someone who is so overtaken by love interest from her male client that she succumbs to this kiss and that she's uh, willing to put her reputation and bar card on the line and do something illegal for her client when i when the attorneys i know like kristen and so many others in our offices are so powerful female attorneys are so powerful so strong um it just it just painted a really ugly picture for me and i i just hate it everything about that character that's my take well i have mixed feelings about this one because i'm offended that any women are on this list it's hard to be a female defense attorney we have to do everything you do but backwards and in heels i agree with you sajid i did not appreciate the portrayal of a female attorney kissing her client though i do think riz ahmed is gorgeous <laughs> and that's all i'm going to say about that but I didn't like that because there are stereotypes that uh, women fall in love with their clients or they're not as tough with them. And I also didn't like the scene where she smuggles the drugs in, though her heart is in the right place. She's tr doing it to help her client because it, he's an addict and he's a drug addict and this will ultimately help him with this case. But I don't understand why she had to put the drugs where she put them because she wasn't physically searched at all. So that was just a ridiculous sort of extra portion of that show. But if you're asking me between uh, Chandra and Maurice, who's worse? I kind of find Maurice to be more offensive because there's also the idea that sometimes clients have that we trade clients uh, for mm -hmm. the DA. Like, oh, well, I'll plead that guy, but let this guy off, or we, we trade that. And that was a common aspect of Maurice Levy's law practice. So just as a woman, I'm not going to throw poor Chandra under the bus. And Chandra, she was at a younger attorney at a firm who was brought into this criminal case uh, because her boss brought her in. And her boss kind of traded on her ethnicity in order to get the case and then abandoned the case. So she was left to do this trial. Uh, she had the mentorship of John Turturro, who wasn't ready to do the trial either. Maurice has more culpability as a kind of long-term player with these organizations and trading his clients. The moments that he has where he's, you know, working the cops and he's making McNulty really upset and McNulty storms off because, you know— the defense attorney won the debate or won the fight. That's it, you know, in his in his favor. Well, it sounds like Chandra cares. I mean, that, you deserve she points did. for oh. that. Okay, Chandra would never do what Len Kaczynski did. Maurice on the board is the most likely person on the board to do what Len Kaczynski did. He would do it if he had somebody, you know, involuntarily confess. He would turn the screws on that person to make that confession gold-plated, in order to extract some sort of benefit not even for that client, but for Avon, you know, or for whoever it is, right? So that's, of the people I'm looking at, he's the, he's the one who stands out, and actually she's the one who stands out the least. She would, she would never do that to a client, I don't think. She would kiss him. 
Sneak in drugs. <laughs> yeah. No, those are both. <laughs> and take on a case that she had no business trying. Would she kiss Cameron Poe? <laughs> Dear Chandra. <laughs> All right. You All ready? Right, put it to a vote. Okay. Um, Maurice Levy. Oh. And Chandra. All right. It's three to one. Maurice moves ahead. My sleeper is out of the bracket. Yeah. Sajid <laughs> thought that the seeding was going to decide the whole thing. Yeah. I thought my, my 12 seed was going to go to the final four. Okay. We're uh, almost the end of this. Uh, we're at the six seed, and the six seed is taking on the eleven. So the six is Jake Brigance, played by Matthew McConaughey in the film A Time to Kill, representing Carl Lee Haley. And the eleven seed is Matt Murdock, the daredevil, known for his representation of the Punisher and for beating up clients after trial. This makes me think that you have something against Matthew McConaughey because you have him twice on this list, Avi, and. Uh, having him in for a time to kill is pretty sacrilegious to me because he's the, you know, open your eyes, open your eyes, you know, imagine if she was white. <coughs> I mean, oh. that's, that's like probably what got a, all of us into public defense was that scene. You're jealous of him from his <laughs> car commercials. The Buick? Yeah. All right. I'm, I'm ready to, I'm ready to make my case. Okay. Here's the movie case. The movie case is he sometimes ignores Carl Lee. He puts on a expert witness without doing a vetting and almost loses the case and then has to miraculously turn it around with this really powerful kind of racial example and imagination exercise, which I think is very powerful. And I feel a strong emotional reaction whenever I watch it. I cry most times I watch it. Do you see her? Do you see her? Okay. All right. So I stand for... That closing. Now, the book. I just read the book. And I was like folding the pages. I was like, oh, oh, this. Okay, he's representing Carly Haley. He represents Carly because he represented his brother successfully in a homicide case. He's tried three murder cases. Carly is his fourth client on a homicide case. He is so happy that he's got the case that he's just obsessed with the media. He's obsessed with how great this is going to be for his career and for his life. He uh, is so fixated on having this trial that when Carly fires him, he has another client who's incarcerated in the jail, and he starts working his client by being like, hey, don't tell Carl Lee this, but his attorney's not doing a good job. Don't tell Carl Lee this, but uh, no, no investigation's being done. Guess what? That client was eligible to be released. All he had to do was fill out a sheet of paper, and he didn't fill out the sheet of paper, and he left his client in jail so that he could get a client back so that he could then be in the media some more. Oh, by the way, in that movie, remember that scene when he runs towards the, his own home and it explodes? Yes. And he's going to run into the fire to get his Labrador, right? He's running in to get his dog. He wants his dog back, and then the dog walks out of the forest and he hugs the dog. In the book, his house is on fire. He drives up. He cracks some coors. He just starts watching it burn. And he says, oh, too bad about the dog. <laughs> he doesn't care that his dog got burned up in the fire he gives no shits about that okay <laughs> NAACP legal defense fund have you heard of it yes it's pretty good pretty good attorneys with the NAACP legal defense fund they show up they say we'll help you with the case we'll take the case we'll assist you with the case we'll assist you with appeal he said no it's all mine get out of here he shoes away a defense he pays no attention to the expert and finally that thing you mentioned Sajid that closing that closing we all love I was shocked when I read the closing, and I didn't see anything about closing your, the eyes. I wanted to close my eyes. I wanted to read the book, close my eyes. I don't hear anything about it. He just says, oh, yeah, those guys were bad. They deserve to get killed, you know, so on and so forth. Daughters are special. The jury's near a hang. 
Then one of the jurors tells everyone, close your eyes. Imagine that the girl was white and imagine the rapists were black. What would we do? So they're playing on racial animosity in there. And it's the jurors that did it. It's like the jurors that did it. So he gets all the credit. Uh, he's highly problematic. Jailing his own client. Jailing his own client. But was the book character as good looking as Matthew McConaughey? Uh, <laughs> Which one they, is they it? describe him as like, like pretty good looking. So is the bracket the book or the movie? Look, it is what it, you have, whatever you see in your hearts is what it is. Can we vote for the book Jack Brigance versus the movie Jack Brigance? So is it really like <laughs> three people? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't think movie. I don't think movie Jake makes it in the bracket. But I think the composite of movie and book Jake gets it in the bracket. And I feel like you know those people who say like in Game of Thrones you have to read the books. But I, I know I feel that way, and I'm prepared to be completely dismissed on this. But it's a it is shocking. <laughs> I mostly remember Carl Lee's line on the stand. Not in the book. What what's, the the, what's the line on the stand? Well, what do you think should happen to them? What would be a fair sentence? Objection, do you think they deserve to die, Mr. Hitty? Answer the question. Carl Lee, don't they deserve to die. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell. <laughs> my, my favorite part is, Dep- is Deputy Looney yeah. saying, you cut, him loose. cut him loose. <laughs> cut him loose. Okay. But ultimately, the client was acquitted. Does that matter for the gets to have a picnic. Yes, it matters. I mean, it mattered in Al Capone because he convicted his client. <laughs> it mattered with Sam Bowden because he convicted his client. Sure, it matters, of right? Course. Doesn't it matter for us? Doesn't it matter? I mean, we don't know what the juries say back there. We don't know what they ultimately have done or why they've made their decisions. It matters. So because he won, all right, because, because he won, let's say he did the jailing of his client in order to keep Carly but he wins or loses. I feel like that's it's not material to what the critique is. Really? So uh, Christina Gutierrez, if she'd have won her trial, would y'all be bad man? You're right. Mm. I've been, I've just been, I've, I'm seeing it. All right. I'm moved. Well, that being said, Matt Murdock doesn't belong on this list. What do you mean? He's terrible. No. The thing with Matt Murdock is this. He picks and chooses his clients, and he's not going to represent someone he thinks is guilty. So he won't lie. He'll only tell the truth. And the people that he represents, he chose. And I, so, yes, it's kind of messed up that you've turned down other people, uh, that you've really uh, limited your practice to just the innocent people, which isn't going to pay a lot of money or bring in a lot of clients. But that's his choice. And, he, and he's a private attorney. He's not beholden to um, you know, anything else. So he can make that choice. He is an okay attorney. But doesn't he let his clients down with his side job? It's like your defense attorney, your side job is a brain surgeon. It's like, how can you do both? He's a superhero and he's supposed to represent these clients. I feel like in watching the show, none of his clients seem to be very successful. Uh, so he, he represented the secretary that ends up working with them. Okay, Karen. Uh, Karen. Uh, she, things work out okay for her. It's not like they're in trial, so to speak, right? I mean, it's more of conversations with the police, and they finagle their way through these little backdoor channels, and it seems to work out for them. There's no real body of work to look at as far as in the courtroom, so it's difficult to assess that. Well, what about the Punisher trial? People v. Punisher. <laughs> <laughs> He's Frank, puts Frank his, Castle. He puts his client up on the witness stand. He says, uh, you know, aren't you, weren't you crazy? And Punisher's like, <laughs> And then he says, allow me to treat my witness as a hostile witness. And the judge is like, permitted. And he just turns to the jury and he just starts giving a speech. 
And he gives a speech for like five minutes. <laughs> what happened to Frank Castle? I don't remember. Well, he's he, I don't available know, he, for the Punisher TV show. I was going to say, yeah. he's in another series right now, <laughs> so it must have been okay. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think he does anything. Keep in mind, they're in a superhero world, so the, the world's a little bit different. I don't think he does anything that's so grossly negligent. I, I don't think he belongs on the what list. What about his partner? Foggy. Foggy. He's pretty bad. I don't know. He, he gets good outcomes sometimes. Yeah. Mm. The thing is that they're they're both predicated on this this idea of honesty, so they're not going to lie. So whatever they do, it's all above board. I don't know how to say it, but their clientele, the way the show does it, they're all virtually innocent, and they all get the best result that's possible for them. But doesn't he beat up that one client after he gets the acquittal? He gets an acquittal for a client, and then he dresses up as his daredevil, and he beats up the client in order to get information about the kingpin. Well, I mean, you oh. represented him. It's a separate <laughs> issue. <laughs> All right, let's vote. Let's vote. I'm, I'm, sh- I'm, I'm thinking I've got a shot to make it out of the first round. Okay, Jake Brigance and Matt Murdock. I'm. Sajid, I don't what's your know vote? Who to vote for? I'm kind of stuck. I, I wish Chandra was still in. <laughs> <laughs> I vote for Matt Murdock. For some reason, I felt like he wasn't focused on the law part of his job enough. All right. All right. So I suppose it's. Two and to Jake one. won. Two Jake one, did one. Win. Yeah, Jake wins. And he gave a great closing argument. All right. And the dog's okay. Yeah. <laughs> the dog thing really got to me. Um, all right. We're, we're nearing the end. And once we get through it, we'll just fly through the final rounds. Yeah. Okay. We got Barry Zuckercorn uh, from Arrested Development against Vincent Gambini from My Cousin Vinny. I don't know who this Jake or Barry, Barry Zuckercorn? Barry Zuckercorn is, but I'm super offended that you would ever have Yeah. This is Vincent Gambini on this list. How he should be you. on the list of the greatest attorneys. Under what whose he, theory is he bad? He sleeps at various ports, portions of the trial. He wins, so he did win. He no, isn't a member no, of the bar. He <laughs> lies. Obviously, he didn't just win. When the ver- when the district attorney dismisses the case, the judge, the DA, and the whole courtroom cheers. Have okay. you ever had that? No. Okay. But he he de- he lies. He says my name's Jerry Callow. Yeah. He gives a false name. He isn't a member of the bar. He doesn't know anything that he's doing. He lucks his way. Remember, he's reading all the books and he's falling asleep and he's reading the books. This is worthy he of being have in there. Appropriate clothing. The clothing's okay with me. You we know how I dress. Seen, stuff you would wear to court. Uh, we must have the seen boots. two different movies because I think that any law student or someone doing their first trial should be required to learn the art of cross-examination. What that guy said is all bullshit. <laughs> the art of cross-examination and the presentation of evidence. The leave thingies. From, the, the cross is pretty, is pretty pres- immaculate. He presented an amazing expert witness. He wasn't afraid of the judge or the pushy DA. He took on a second client. That's true. He was amazing. Yeah, which he should not have done. Oh, okay, fine. <laughs> You're wrong here. There's no votes. This is this is okay. This is an and outrage. Barry Zuckercorn is I vote a comic for Barry Zuckercorn. <laughs> I don't know who he is, but I'm voting for Barry Zuckercorn. I didn't watch Arrested Development, but I, I saw the clip that you sent us, which is pretty funny. He He's never a, reads any. He never plea reads deals. any documents. He's to tell his clients that yeah, he hasn't read the read the plea deal. He's uh, like, you got to take it. It's too you long. Take the plea deal. <laughs> it's it's really long. I haven't read it. <laughs> so. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, I think I'm. I mean, I'm ready to vote. Look at the seating. He's a number ten seat. He's not a. He's not a. I mean, I guess he should have been seated below we the, do the best lawyer. fictional attorneys. He'll be number one. Okay. I would give me Vincent Gambini over Atticus Finch. Any oh, day. such a hot Please. take. Vincent Gambini went to each of the witnesses, and this was an ID case. It wasn't forensics. He went to every witness, and he turned every single one of them and then did a masterful job in his cross-examination. Yep. That's better than what most attorneys do, let alone putting them on the list of worst. How dare you, Abby? How dare you? How dare you? Okay. <laughs> you know, Can you ever think that he this? makes... The appointed, the, he advances the appointed. Can, all right, we'll get to the appointed council. <laughs> yeah. All right, I've lost on this. Barry Zuck, uh, Vincent Gambini is out. Barry Zuckercorn advances. <laughs> all right, and finally, the eight and nine seed, Lionel Hutz, Sajid's top five attorney <laughs> against the appointed council from my cousin Vinny. Oh, I like them both. Yeah. Such a shame. Lionel is um is one of my heroes. He, I have a his uh figurine in my office. Um <laughs> he's 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 awesomely bad. He's he's just like a such an amazing um attorney. But he doesn't wear pants to court. <laughs> he drinks bourbon. He moonlights as a babysitter for for Lisa and Bart. He calls himself the law talking guy he doesn't even know that he's a lawyer <laughs> but he is a jack of many trades he takes criminal cases personal injury uh lawsuits employment discrimination em- employment discrimination you know he does interesting cross-examination techniques where he uh, is cross-examining a witness i think it might have been a poo or maybe someone else and he's he's like well if your memory's so great what color tie was i wearing and then he <laughs> turns around and manipulates and finally gets his tie to come off and then he turns around and the and Apu says well it was a red tie with a gray stripe and he turns around and he's like well i wasn't wearing a tie at all and that move did work and the, the, and the jury, jury yeah. gasped yeah <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know. So he shouldn't be in this list either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Paul, he, that's why he was in my top five, but I, I think he merited a, a nice nice middle eight seed here. Yeah. Yeah, Chris, he doesn't know what he's doing. Guy, and he- love him. I absolutely love him. Um, I love his uh, bringing in surprise witness after surprise witness, each one more surprising than the next. Um, and he take uh, civil cases. He did crim. I, I love him. And, and you know what? His heart's in the right place, and he only works for uh, two popsicles. <laughs> two popsicles in a birdcage. <laughs> That's right. Okay. He never represented Mr. Burns, did he? No. No, okay. he had the team of attorneys. Yeah, and Hutz see, runs away. Exactly. Now, the appointed counsel for my cousin Vinny, he advances a negative uh, depiction of appointed counsel uh, that is possibly the most powerful and well-known of how an appointed attorney uh, is unprepared and not ready uh, for stressful situations and ultimately breaks. But does anyone else have anything to say about him? Yes, and I'm, I'm going to discount the fact that he has a speech impediment. Yes. That has nothing to do with why he's a terrible lawyer. I think he's a terrible lawyer because he starts the case with this false confidence when he walks up and he uh, introduces himself and I think he pats or taps the, the, the counsel table and then he proceeds to... Uh, just be a rotten lawyer. Well, he he did yeah. the cross examination, uh, basically asking about glasses or whatever, and not realizing the guy had his just reading glasses right there in his pocket or whatever. I mean, it was a horrible, you know. It's it's scary because it's closer to real life than a lot of the other things we're talking about here. Because attorneys always mess up cross examination, and, and it's easy to do. And he did it, and 
it's just highlighted by the great job that uh, Mr. Gambini did with no experience at all. And no bar over there. card. No bar card. Wrong name. Uh, this is going to be a tough one. I got to tell you. Yeah. This is what this is the eight nine seed, it, and yeah. I'll just take this Good as job. praise from you all. Yes. From how the seating. This is the toughest one. It's not that tough for me. I'm going to vote for appointed counsel. I'll join you with that vote. I don't feel like he truly cared. He wasn't prepared. He, he wasn't, wasn't such a hero. <laughs> I just like talking about Lionel Hutt so much. Right. That I, I, don't wanna... want him, I don't want to erase his name. Yeah, exactly. It's not. But he to... doesn't belong on the list of the worst. Yeah, he kind of does. Lionel? <laughs> yeah. Lionel? He's, he's, he's this is fair. time for a law thingy. <laughs> I move for one of those motions. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so appointed counsel, appointed counsel. Yeah, I'll vote for it. Wow. It's unanimous. Okay. So we've gotten through the first round. We're now in the lightning round. In our first matchup, we've got Len Kaczynski against the appointed attorney from My Cousin Vinny. So it's the one seed against the nine seed. Uh, we've talked it through. I'm voting Len. Len. Yeah. Chris? Len. All right, it's unanimous. The next round up Wait. is, yeah, the next one up is the Con Air attorney, who is the number 15 seed, <laughs> against Barry Zuckercorn from Arrested Development, who doesn't read the plea bargains. <laughs> I think we're going to, you this know, Con, the, yeah, Kristen really yeah. convinced me early on on the Con Air lawyer, because when she gave the context, yeah. it was, it, it sold me. She so. made a case. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Zuckercorn's out. See how fast it's going, people? You want to slow down your playback? Just slow it down. <laughs> Can, all right, next round up is Sam Bowden against, is that Jake Brigance? Jake Brigance, yep. All right, what yeah. house it easy? Sam Bowden. All right. 14 years. Let's call it. Yeah, Jake shouldn't have been in this round, but because he is. It's miraculous that he made yeah. it through, and I'm proud of myself for getting him out of the first round, out of pool play, but uh, it's time for Sam to move forward. Jake's out. Chris? Uh, agreed. Okay, Saji, what's the next one up? Maurice Levy as the five seed versus Al Capone's attorney as the four seed. This is hard. It's getting harder. Well, Al Capone's attorney is the, we, we talked about this, is the man who stood up and rolled his client. We plead guilty. <laughs> well, that he knew he was part of a fixed jury trial. I mean, he's representing Al Capone and he had 12 members who are all going to agree with him because they were paid. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he fixed the jury is also against him, right? He's like, okay, I'm going to do this trial. I'm going to fix the jury. Oh, wait, the jury's not fixed. I have no I have no moves now. Right. I have no moves. My only move was to fix the jury. I mean, he could have folded into the fetal position. That would have yeah. been the only other he thing. He had no moves. He could have run. Yeah. What do you think, Chris? This You're... is a tough one. Can we get Chandra back? <laughs> Chandra's <laughs> out, Sajid. It's over. I know. I'm gonna vote for Al Capone's attorney. I, like I said, I, I like Maurice Levy. That's more, it's yep. it's Al Capone yeah. versus Maurice Levy. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Al Capone's attorney too. Agreed. Okay. Didn't wait. Oh, I guess I'm outvoted. It doesn't matter. So the final four is Len Kaczynski, the Con Air attorney, Sam Bowden, and Al Capone. I think we all knew that this was gonna happen, with the exception of the Con Air attorney, <laughs> who somehow. Made his way against all expectations into the final four. We need to find that actor's name. He needs some props. It, yeah. It's John Deedle. John Deedle. All right. All right. So, Sajid, do we start out? One versus four. Okay. Len Kaczynski versus Al Capone's attorney. Uh, and then two. I'm sorry. The 15 seed, Con Air lawyer versus Sam Bowden from Cape Fear. Ooh. I need to split that up. Well, no, it just is, is what it is. This is the final four. Yeah, it's just the final four. Oh, okay. Okay. I, it's going down. This is tough. Okay, so what are the choices now? So we have Len Kaczynski versus Al, versus Capone's, Al Capone's attorney. Okay. 
I'm going to vote Lynn Kaczynski. You represented a child instead of a one of the you know most the powerful. The stakes were much higher too. Really. Yes. Yeah. Al Capone was in a tax evasion case. Yeah. Right. And the writing was on the wall. Right. Yeah. And That's he right. did, you know, good or bad, he tried, client-centered, to get the jury. To rig the jury. To rig the jury. So that <laughs> mean that might count for something. He did something. Like that wasn't totally anti-client. It was yeah. pro. It was illegal and unethical, but it yeah. wasn't both anti-client. It's frowned upon at the very least. It's frowned upon, but it was in to the benefit of his client. Yeah. We're focused on him switching the plea. That's the thing that we're so <laughs> fixated on. The whole jury tampering thing. It's like, uh. All right. I, I don't know. Um, and it's so so much tougher because one of them is a real person and the other one isn't. Um, well, I'm sure Al Capone had a real attorney, but I don't know how that worked out. Uh, I'm going to probably go with Len. I'm going with Len Kaczynski, too. Yeah. Poor Brendan. Yeah. Okay. So right. Capone's Len attorney's out. He's in the what's that national championship game? Len Kaczynski. Now he's in yeah, the final two in the Frito Lay <laughs> national <laughs> championship IAC bowl uh, for the title belt. Okay, so the last one is the Con Air lawyer versus Sam Bowden. Chris, now I'm basically going to do whatever you say here. What a run by the Con Air lawyer! 15 seed all the way to the final four. You know, I didn't realize how defensible the trial was. It in was terms truly of the, defensible. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to make the case for. On behalf of Sam Bowden. Okay. Okay. Sam Bowden buried evidence that might have been not admitted anyway. I don't think you can make that (laughs) argument. That's not fair. I think we all agreed that we have to play within the construct of that world. I can't really make the case for Sam Bowden, but I can make the case that Max Cady was a terrible guy. Whereas poor Cameron Poe had to spend seven to ten years in prison. How long is he there before the plane? Well, he's going home, remember. It was six or seven years. Yeah. So he I have said to let not something. less than seven. The judge said not less than seven years. I've been years. exposed for having not watched Conair. <laughs> what? Ugh. I thought I could make it through the whole way. Oh. I haven't seen it either. What? <laughs> Where is that? Well, you guys should go watch it now. I Where should. Is the lawyer in Con Air, the public defender, probably went in and pled a bunch of other guys who were, imagine wh- how many people he pled who were not war heroes. Yeah, if he's going to plead out Sam or Poe the yeah. way that he did it, nobody's, nobody's going to trial out there. Well, if you're going to look at end justifies the means, mm. though, then Nicolas Cage's character wouldn't have been on the plane to save all those people and to catch yeah. all those bad guys. Who did he save? He ended up actually murdering a bunch of people because the plane crashed on the Las Vegas Strip. No one died on the Strip. How do we know that? It makes no sense. Of course people died. No, they landed right... Well, you Sully Sullenberger was flying. Anybody yeah. who's seen Con Air knows people died. Okay, only Bashemi makes it out. He saved right? one guy that was worth saving, his friend and the lady prison guard That's that true. doesn't mean that the attorney did a better job that he landed the plane no, not at all <laughs> <laughs> i mean sam bowden is like is burying exculpatory evidence and essentially expediting the the trip for his client to prison whereas the con air lawyer to his credit i mean uh, we do some of the stuff that he 
did. You know, we're some of us might be a little trial averse, or maybe we don't see cases as flowery as maybe our clients might or our colleagues might. We might be a little gun shy about trial um, sometimes. Um, and then sometimes we do think that our clients might get a particular outcome, and judges might do a little bait and switch on us, or you know mix things up as the ba- as it goes in terms of balancing I, I have to vote for Sam Bowden never think about it con air lawyer how could you be handed a better case with a more innocent client worthy of a trial and then you don't even talk to the judge ahead of time or work out a resolution mm-hmm. with the district attorney you blindly Plead your client to manslaughter too, <laughs> but he didn't blindly pe- plea him. He told him, "This is my opinion. This is what I think will happen. Here's my advice." And Nicholas Cage did it with his own free will. I understand it's all bad. It's bad advice. I agree with you completely, but he didn't do it underhanded. All right. Okay. What's the category? Worst lawyer. Yeah, worst lawyer. But he didn't even file an appeal when the judge sentenced Nicolas Cage on a fake and phony prosecution theory. It's Whereas, how do you know open what pleas are hard to appeal? Katie's yeah. trial. We don't know if he filed an appeal or not, and maybe that's Alabama law. It was a Wendy brief. They filed a Wendy brief. It's a Becky brief. Okay. All right. All right. Here we go. Wait. So who? Sam Bowden, Con Air lawyer. <laughs> Sam Bowden. Sam Bowden. I'll, I'll right. call it. I'm, yeah. I'm satisfied. Yeah. We made it that far. Yeah, he got to the final four. Next year. Okay. <laughs> and the final, I mean, the final thing, it, it's like almost now I'm looking at it, it never could have been any other way. Number one seed, Len Kaczynski, Len Kaczynski versus Kaczynski. the number three seed, Sam Bowden. Yeah. You look at the equities, you look at what he did, according to the reports, as, as Chris is. Uh, Noted, according to the documentaries, what we're basing our views on, what we've seen. Anybody have strong views on Sam? This is tough. I mean, the air has left the room. And I'll take this moment to say that Kramer versus Kramer had a really (laughs) crappy attorney for uh, Dustin Hoffman as well. Yeah, what kind of case is that? A criminal case? No, not quite. Okay, thanks. What he did was (laughs) criminal, though. (laughs) Uh, This is tough. What do you think, Kristen? I think... I'm going to vote for Rudy Giuliani. Oh, come on. <laughs> Clearly, oh, the final there's stage. no contest. Yeah. It's Len Kaczynski. That's your vote? Obviously. I'm voting Len. I, I'm, I'm voting Len. Yeah. yeah I'll I'm in. vote I'm in. I'm, I'm persuaded. I'll vote Len. And it's amazing when you think about it that we chose a real attorney to beat out a bunch of fictitious, <laughs> horrible attorneys who right. exist to advance plots that are outrageous and absurd so that people feel all kinds of feelings that are designed that way. <laughs> exactly. In order to move a plot forward in a thrilling manner. Including a cartoon character predicated on the worst attorney possible. <laughs> yeah. Including a guy who didn't care that his dog died in a fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And uh, by the way, I'm wondering you know, if seating even matters. You know, if Len was the 16th seed, I think he, he, you know, is. Uh, well, he had a easy, maybe an easier path. I don't know. Yeah. He had ho- home court advantage. In, in, in seeding Arthur from and Justice for All with Con Air Lawyer initially. Mm. Yeah. Because I think uh, he would have gone farther because he was out of control. The committee needs to do a better job next year. Yeah. I think that there'll be a committee next year. 
So anyway, listen, thanks so much for listening to Aider and a Better. Kristen, Chris, Sajid, and we really uh, enjoyed this talk. We hope you found it fun and not too uh, uh, heavy as a conversation. Our music <laughs> in this episode <laughs> is by... Oh, I'm yeah. just tired. Yeah, our music in this episode <laughs> is by Omniboy, by Lee Rosevear, and by one of our fellow public defenders. If you are a listener and you have creative music or anything like that, uh, send it my way and we'll try to incorporate it in the pod. Thanks so much for listening and we will talk to you next time. Mm